Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, guys. I'm May, and welcome to my podcast, Phenomenal and Asian, a podcast aimed to redefine the Asian stereotype and share inspirational stories of those doing phenomenal things. This week's Phenomenal Asian is Nigel Ung, a stand-up comedian originally from Malaysia and co-host of the hugely popular Rice to Meet You, one of the first comedy podcasts about Asian culture. Given the severe lack of Asian representation in UK comedy, I was super excited to have Nigel as a guest as he's been making waves on the comedy scene and was nominated for the prestigious Best Newcomer Award for his sold-out show Culture Shocked at the Edinburgh Fringe last year. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did and prove to you that Asians can be pretty funny too. Hello? Hi, Nigel. Hey, May. How's it going? Yeah, good. How are you? Good. Well, how are you? Where are you? You're in London. Yes, I live in London and I'm stuck by myself in my studio flat. Oh, no, you're living by yourself. Yeah, yeah, it's a little how bit shit. Have you learned a lot about yourself? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> it, it's pretty similar, really. Like, um, so I'm a full-time stand-up comedian. So now I can't really do stand-up. But in addition to being a stand-up comedian, I also make a lot of videos and content stuff online, podcasting right. and videos. So I've I've been spending more time making those now. Like, I guess that's actually quite good for you, as in terms of your career. Yeah, I have I have to use it, you know, to my advantage, right? I think yeah. mon- money-wise, it sucks because online content <laughs> definitely doesn't pay enough to cover the yeah. bills compared to live work. But building building a following wise, getting new followers and stuff, maybe that can help. It just give mm-hmm. you more time to work on that, you know. Planning, planning. Yeah. So you are originally from Malaysia, is that right? Yes, yes, from Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. That's where I was born. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so, tell us a bit about your family. What was your childhood like? My childhood was was great. It was all in Malaysia. I only moved to the UK five years ago. I lived in oh, Malaysia okay. until I was 20. And then mm-hmm. I went to the US for university and work for a little bit. And then I moved here when I was moved to the UK when I was 25. So I would say I've grown up. Uh, I, I, I grew up in Malaysia in KL. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, a, it's a good childhood. You know, yeah. Growing up in Asia as an Asian person is great because <laughs> you feel so normal because you are the you know, the, the, you, you don't feel like you're sticking out. Which mm. is something I find I I feel I feel for you guys, people, Asians who grew up here. It must be tough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's definitely confusing, you know. So what kind of I guess Asian child were you? Were you rebellious? Were you um I did really well in school, but I was also rebellious. Mm. You know, so I, I was the class clown. There were a few of us, I was one of them. And <laughs> I have to say I'm a comedian now, but I wasn't even the funniest one in my class. You know, I was maybe like top 10 funny people in my class. <laughs> but I still did really, really well. Um, I think remember my last year, the high school I went to, there's like 700 of us in a grade. Uh, it's, mm. it's a big high school. So I think the whole school has like 4,000 people. But there was 700 of us in a grade and I got like 
the whole, which is like the first academically out of the whole 700 people, which is why, oh, wow. you know, yeah, lucky enough, I'm lucky enough to get a scholarship to study in the US, which is why I ended up there. So you must be really clever because you are amongst Asians like, in general. <laughs> I'd like to think so. Yeah, <laughs> I was pretty good. I, I was even in the, uh, the school math team, you know, oh, the mathematic, mathematics like the Olympiad. Yeah. But is that is that like um, the popular club in in Malaysia, like in Asian schools? It can be like it's uh, th- th- another good thing about growing up in Asia. They can be the math team and still be cool. You know, there are, yeah. o- o- obviously there are some nerdy people in the math team and that's OK as well. <laughs> but it's just like more well-rounded. Whereas if you tell people here you're in the math team, but just assume <laughs> you're a nerd. Right. Yeah. And on top of you being Asian, it's just like, you know such a stereotype yeah well we didn't know it was a stereotype we grew up in malaysia free of all these burden of you know knowing what a stereotype <laughs> is and and don't get me wrong we we have like jocks too in the, in the school we have athletic people as well and they are cool too mm-hmm. it's just that because we we are all asian no stereotypes exist we are free to be whoever we want so you were you always this confident let me think. I, I think I was. I think I've gotten worse in terms of... Worse? <laughs> uh, it's like, like sometimes I get carried away. I get too big-headed <laughs> now. Uh, oh, so you're arrogant. No, I hope not. I ho- Do I come across like that? No. Edit me well, please, May. <laughs> please edit me well. Uh, yes, I, ha- I have been, I guess, because um, the, the path I chose doing stand-up, it requires a certain confidence, right, to to even want to stand in front of people and tell them stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, you need a certain degree of like, oh, here, listen to my thoughts. They're very important and funny. Mm. You need to of that to be able to go on stage. And I just hope it's not too much to turn people off from me. No, I think, no, I think it's great. And I think it's interesting because obviously you are naturally confident. And I wonder whether that is because you grew up in Asia. I- um, whereas I think a lot of the people that, I've interviewed and and myself and some of my family it's like we were quite shy reserved growing up maybe it was because we were different maybe it was because yeah um you know we were the only Asians in the school I've thought about this question too and I think you hit a nail on the head there I think if you're if you if you have grown up to feel like an outsider constantly it's hard to be confident and this is a little bit harder maybe you can develop it later in life but for someone like me, grew up, you know, being like the default or nor- quote unquote normal, <laughs> it's uh, it it it's it's e- a bit easier, I think. You get bullied less. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, did you have like role models then growing up? Because I think that was another issue for me is that I didn't see any Asian role models in the UK. Yes, that's another difficult thing because in Asia, growing up, my family, um, they like a lot of the Chinese culture stuff and the Hong Kong films, I think would be like the Hong Kong film stars. I grew up watching mm. those films and those would be my role models, you know, like old Stephen Chow films, Jackie Chan, of course. <laughs> when people talk about representation, well, I grew up with like all these Hong Kong films, Chinese films, even some Malaysian films, not a lot. Our movie industry isn't the best, but there, were, there, were, there was a few. And so role models wise, yeah, it's just those TVB stars, Hong Kong film stars, th- those type of people. And any comedians? Stand-up wasn't a big thing in Asia when I was growing up. The comedians I liked, I think I only started knowing what stand-up is, I think maybe when I was 12 or 13. And my introduction to it was Russell Peters. 
Yes, every Asian oh. person from Asia knows and loves Russell <laughs> Peters. He had, a, I think, in er- the early 2000s, he had a clip about how uh, Asian parents, Indian parents yeah. beat their kids, and then he has that, that line, somebody gonna get a hurt real bad. Everybody <laughs> knew it. We all we were like quoting him at school. So that was my first introduction into stand-up, and then through him. That's amazing that you, you, that you know. I guess I just thought it was a kind of American-British thing, but actually it's great that over in Asia he was big too. Yeah, I think Russell Peters bigger in Asia than in America. I think oh, really? he's the biggest comedian. I don't I don't know if it's still if he still is, but at one point yeah. he was the biggest comedian in develop in the developing world. Oh wow. Yeah. That's really impressive. So it was through that then I found people like Eddie Murphy, uh, uh who else? Chris Rock. Mm. And Louis CK. Those people, I think those are the people I watched. And so how did comedy come about then so you obviously got the scholarship to university in america but i'm assuming that's not in comedy no you can't study comedy (laughs) (laughs) that would be cool if you could (laughs) yeah i think it'll be a waste of money like you can just comedy you can just do it you know just just do it so the way i fell into it was when i went to the u.s um i auditioned for this african-american improv group and then i got in through some for some reason i wasn't i didn't even know what improv was but i just did it and i got in and i really struggled throughout the season because i I don't know i I didn't know how to do improv i think the audition was just a lucky fluky thing but so i was in that group and then uh we 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 do a show every year and after the show there's nothing going on the group just kind of disbands until next year so i I was bored and i was like okay i wonder if i can do this by myself so that's how i started doing stand-up amazing and like so what was it like then for you being in America, being in a Western country, was that was that hard for you, or was that just quite a natural transition? No, nah, it was tough. It was tough. There's a huge culture shock there that nobody talks about. By the way, we all talk about how like people here in the UK go to Asia and there's like, oh they're eating crickets. What the hell, you know that kind of culture shock. But nobody talks about the culture shock from the East moving to the West. So true. Right? Okay, what was your number one culture shock? Like the fact that people follow the rules all the time. <laughs> have you tried to cross a street what, in asia like, <laughs> like we don't we don't value human life over there so you, there, there are no rules on the road you just kind of <laughs> pray <laughs> that that's just one thing and and like everything's nice i know it's like you know coronavirus time so wet, like markets asian markets are under a lot of scrutiny but we grew up with those wet markets we didn't sell like exotic animals like bats or anything but it was just where we got our like vegetables chickens or you know meat all that stuff like mm. normal things right so remember in malaysia we, when we were growing up that's where we got our food from you know you go to a market and there, there are smells and you see the life like a, like a dead fish on ice somewhere and it's just you see the whole thing you see like the nitty-gritty of it and then you go to tesco here there are no smells everything's nicely packaged <laughs> in plastic so i've that's another thing like in in the western world you can go grocery shopping without getting your hands dirty so true i saw you know when they like used to wrap up bananas individual bananas i saw them cling filmed once in new york yeah why, <laughs> why? I don't know. is it gross to touch the banana skin <laughs> maybe just so many stewings in in america is that like liability yeah yeah and i i guess it you know if you go to a waitrose if things are packaged nicely and there's no smell it just gives off a more a posher feeling yeah you can charge 10 times yes price. yes but it's not good for the environment <laughs> 
Yeah, all exactly. this being said, the wet market is still a, a good thing. It, you know, with proper hygiene in place, and if you don't sell illegal animals, I think the wet market is better for the environment than some place like Waitrose or Tesco. Yeah, and my dad always he always like argues that in the in Chinese markets you can actually see what you're eating, yeah. whereas like here in yeah Tesco Sainsbury's is that chicken? I don't no, know. Ev- everything's <laughs> a square brick. Have you had fish and chips <laughs> and- here? Have you seen the fish? It's a brick <laughs> under a lamp. Mm. But in Asia, you have the whole fish, right? You see the head. and then Yeah, you see it swimming. Yeah, you can choose <laughs> what fish you want. You go, go into a restaurant, it's a fish tank. And then you choose that. You tell yeah, them, oh, I want Danny that. over here. I want this. I want Danny the fish. <laughs> <laughs> he looks juicy and succulent. <laughs> but that's normal. Do you know what I mean? That's like what they, that's what they used to do back in the day in caveman time. Yeah, it, it feels closer to nature. And it feels, exactly. it feels less processed. Mm. I can't remember what we were talking about now. Oh, culture shock. <laughs> culture shock. Oh, culture shock. I was like, why are we talking about? The, the supermarkets must have been weird. For you. Yeah, you, you, you had, it t- took a while to get, get used to all those things. And the ingredients are also different. You know, in Asia, it's easy to get certain things. But then you go to Tesco, like it's impossible to get, say, bok choy. You know, so you mm. had to like start learning how to cook different things. Uh, and then, you know, in Asia, I, I would ask my mom about what to cook. And we don't have recipes. You know, there's no, there's no way to <laughs> Google what she's made. Like in the West, because things are more organized, it just feels in general things are more organized here. So you can Google, okay, I want to make uh, spaghetti, spaghetti bolognese. And then there are tons of recipes for that. I don't know how to Google. I want to make my mom's soup. You know, how do I do that? <laughs> She doesn't yeah. know how she You does call it. her and she tells you, yeah, just whack it all in the rice cooker, do this. And how, how many grams? <laughs> oh, just a feeling? Okay. And then it just turns out shit because nobody writes anything down. It's all a, it's all a feeling, you know? It's all intuition. They're not organized mm. back there. Yeah, I can't, I can't cook any Chinese food, yeah. to be honest. I thought of one more example in terms of like culture shock stuff. If you want to yeah. add that in. No, definitely. I'm loving, I'm loving these culture shocks because you're right. You, you don't think about it together. Yeah, so I'm trying to bring some perspective here, a different perspective, hopefully. And I think another thing that was a a shock for me was how, like I said, things are very organized here, right? So there's no street food. I guess you kind of have street food, but you need a permit and then you can't just set it up anywhere, right? And then it's like, there's there's no, in in Asia, you walk around, you can just, okay, you walk walk down the street, okay, I'll have noodles here. You just sit down, they put out a few plastic chairs. And if you get food poisoning, tough luck, because you come back the next day, he's not there anymore. (laughs) (laughs) But that's the the adventurous spirit we like with our food, you know? We like trying new things and Mm -hmm. things open late, food places open late in Asia. Yeah, things close pretty early. You ever try to get noodles here after 9.30? It's impossible. (laughs) Where did you reach in America? Where did I live in America? Well, uh, I went to Northwestern University, which is near Chicago, like a suburb okay. slightly outside Chicago. And then after I graduated, I moved down to Chicago proper. And it was nice. And what was the Asian, are there many Asians in Chicago? I mean, I know there's Asians everywhere. A but... good amount. Not as much it... as, not as many as New York or San Fran, of course, but a decent amount. That I remember the Chinatown being a bit too far because yeah. Chicago is not like New York. New York's very densely packed. Chicago is still quite spread out and spacious. So I, I never really ventured down to the Chicago Chinatown. It was, it was just too far. 
But I, I live close to Viet, like a tiny Vietnam, Vietnam town almost. There's a little street there that had a lot of pho, like a whole street full of mm-hmm. pho restaurants. And I remember they all had, all their names were just numbers. You know, we don't, we don't do that here. Like rest, Vietnamese restaurants in the UK, they don't do that here. But in the US, Vietnamese restaurants, you know, they are good if they have like numbers in their name. Yeah, really? like 6892 pho or something. And then, yeah. Really? <laughs> just a thing. I don't know why. And like, so did you have many Asian friends? Like, did you know anyone in Chicago or you were just fresh? Off I was the fresh, plane? fresh off the plane. Yeah, very fresh off the plane. <laughs> Northwestern wasn't a super popular choice for Malaysian students. So there were a few. I met up with them once every three months or something. And there are a lot of Asians with most decent universities in the US. They have, they have a lot of Asians because Asians love studying abroad. You know, I don't know if you know this, but mm-hmm. your parents brag about you. I guess your parents are here now. But if your parents are from Malaysia, they will brag about their children studying abroad. That is like point of pride. Oh. So Asian people love sending their children overseas. So Northwestern was no exception. There, there were a lot of like Chinese students, Indian students, Korean students there. Mm-hmm. And did you want to mingle with them or were you like, no, I want to find some Uh friends? I tried both. <laughs> I would say I didn't have, I had a s- small group of friends. I wasn't the most popular one on campus, definitely. I think because, you know, you have so many activities to do. Like being the sketch group takes up so much of your time. Doing stand-up takes up so much of your time. But I had, I had enough friends to get by. I wasn't lonely or anything. And I tried making some Asian friends. But a lot of the times, it's like, just because you're Asian doesn't mean you're culturally similar. You know, Asia's a big place. Yeah. So me and a South Korean person, yeah, we, we might look you know, we are the same race, yes, but culturally, I think sometimes it's even easier to click with an American person than a South Korean person. Because at least with American mm-hmm. stuff, you, you get some of it in Malaysia, you know, like their pop music, their movies, whereas South Korean stuff, it wasn't mm-hmm. super as trendy as it was now. You know what I mean? So I didn't know anything mm. about like Korean culture or like mainland Chinese culture as much. Yeah, that is very true. I mean, Everyone does kind of lump us all together. Don't yeah, they? because there's not enough of us in uh, here in the UK. I think it's what like one percent, so like half a mil mm. of East Asians here. Yeah, so lump yeah, us all in bad. one first. We, that's too few of us to separate. <laughs> lump us all in one. We'll get all the representation. Then we can start to you know have nuance with it. We just need some Asian faces on in media here to start with. We do. We do. Thank you. Start. I'm I'm trying, May. I'm trying trying my best. So you're in America, you're in Chicago, and so you're you're enjoying it, you're doing improv. What was your initial career choice? I think people who grew up in Malaysia, uh, all, all of us are very STEM-focused. We, we grow up okay. and then our career paths are uh, doctor, engineer, that kind of thing. Maybe finance. And if you're really dumb, you can be an accountant. Oops. I was an accountant. <laughs> I take all that back. It's a very noble profession, May. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we didn't know what, what else we could, we could be doing, you know? I guess nowadays you can work in media, I guess. Like we, they're all these, but growing up, all we were drilled was just like, okay, engineer, doctor, lawyer, those kind of careers. So I think I was going down the engineering path because I was good at maths, I was good at physics, that kind of thing. And that's what I studied in the US, engineering. Mm. so I, I guess that was going to be the path and, I was going to go down yeah and I think actually it's hard when you're clever do you know what I mean like because <laughs> when you're clever you have all these options and you 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 could do yeah so you're right I wish I was dumb I wish I was stupider than I was 
that I have to do comedy. (laughs) (laughs) How did you actually take um, on being a comedian seriously full time? Only last September. So yeah, what a time to be self-employed, huh? (laughs) But that's how I, I, it was a very, very, it was a gradual thing. At first, it was just day job, mm-hmm. performing two, three nights a week, then became like four or five nights a week. And then I started traveling for gigs, you know, like weekend. I'll be sometimes weekends, I'll be in Birmingham, Thursday to Saturday, and then come back Sunday. So at a certain point, I was like, okay, mm-hmm. this uh, day job thing is, I'm not going to be able to devote as much time to comedy if I still hold like a full-time nine to five, Monday to Friday job. So let's go down to part-time. So I was part-time for like a year and a half, two years. Then I went, okay, time to take the plunge. I have a little bit of savings. Let's jump into comedy. And then coronavirus happened. So we'll see what the future holds. <laughs> I'm wondering if you can like spin it around. Do you know what I mean? Like there must be there must be so much material you can use with coronavirus. Hopefully. Yes, I think I so. Know. I think as I a comic, you want to evolve with the world. So if the world has evolved mm. to the, uh, in such a rapid pace over the last month, we have to evolve with it and write new stuff and response to the evolution of the world, right? You can't be a comedian who... W- wouldn't it be weird if after coronavirus, after the pandemic, you go to a comedy club and then a comic just goes on stage and never mentions the virus and he just goes, you know, Chinese takeaways are weird, right? The middle aisle and a, and a, a little. You can get everything there. It's so weird. <laughs> no, exactly. I actually can't wait to see what you do. What, oh, thank you. Come you. Please come to a show. Yeah, oh my God, definitely. My boyfriend actually really? saw you live. Oh, when? Yeah. So you're already, you're already popular in the household. I don't know, actually. Okay, that's cool. So it must have been... Yeah, I don't know. I'll try and find out and, and let you know. But he... Was it a battle? Oh, something like that. Were you in a... A, like battle. a battle, and he said you won. Oh, rose battle! I did rose battle last year. Yeah. Oh, okay. That was on that was TV it. too. Oh, that's maybe he saw it. Yeah. Anyway, he remembers. That's very nice. What's your What's your boyfriend's name? He's a fan. Adam, thank you, Adam. Hi. Thanks for watching my stuff. <laughs> is Adam Is Adam Asian or is he white? No. Always. White. I have yet to see an Asian Asian couple in the UK. It's so rare, isn't it? Yeah. Really? I I think I know one. That's so true, actually. I know one. Yeah, maybe it's the same couple. <laughs> we think of the same person. Like, it's cool that people are dating outside their races now, you know, like, uh, but it's like, surely there must be more Asian-Asian couples. Okay, well, we're, we're, maybe we should have well, uh, Yes, we, you, we should interview some Asian-Asian couples, you know. <laughs> that will be great. Sticking to, sticking to tradition. <laughs> like, have you dated Asian and white? or just? I've dated every, everyone. Every race. <laughs> Black, white, Asian. I, I think my theory is like dating an Asian person here sometimes can be hard for because Asians from Asia compared to Asians like British born mm. Chinese, I think there's still like a like there's still cultural differences there. I think you'll find Asian Asian couples here who are both from yes. originally from Asia. It's hard to find a British born Asian and yes. another British born Asian. Because there's just not Oh that yeah, much. that's true. I've yet to meet a British born Chinese guy. I know, like, girls, but I... I'm yeah, where are they married. hiding? <laughs> also, I think, like, for someone like me, if, if, say, I date a white person, then, yes, I have to explain all the cultural stuff, all the weird food, like, yo, we're getting dim sum. Why, why do you eat chicken feet? Oh, we, we, just, we just do that. But sometimes yeah. for... Uh, if I go out with, like, a British-born Chinese person, then it, it starts getting confusing to me because 
you have varying levels of Asianness, right? Some people are British-born Chinese, and they're very <laughs> Chinese, right? They're culturally very Chinese. Or some people are British-born Chinese, but they are culturally quite white. You know, it depends how you grew up, where you grew mm-hmm. up. So it, it takes a lot. Of, maybe, maybe for me or my for my perspective, it takes a lot of mental effort. It'd be like, should I explain things to her? Will she know? Do I need to explain it to her? Am I gonna be so mansplaining true. if I try explaining why? <laughs> Maybe he should hand it. Yeah, how Asian are you? To be like, <laughs> do you think beans belong in a dessert? <laughs> oh my god, I, I think that there should be a test like that to be like, how Asian are you? I'd love to know myself. That, that is a I good am. like sketch idea. I'm writing it down. How Asian are you? Test. <laughs> you know, do you have your remotes at home? Is it wrapped in plastic? <laughs> Let's just go back to your comedy days you know when you started out how did you get to grips with the british audience or the american audience do you know mm-hmm. what i mean in terms of the material and the content that you're you're doing how do you know that culturally they're gonna find so it funny? when the process of writing a joke in stand-up is you write a joke and then you try it out at a thing called like a new material night so that's where you wrote test it you you based on empirical evidence okay i've d- done this joke five times and Five out of the five times, four times it gets a laugh. So okay, okay, this joke I think it's decent. It can be worked on. So that's the main way we gauge things. But I guess from a uh, bigger point of view, you you have to know people, right? You have to know your audience in any field of art you you you're, you're pursuing. You have to know your audience, and to know your audience, for me, the majority of them will be British because if I travel and perform at a comedy club, but most of the time it's ninety nine percent British people, right? So I have to observe their behaviors. And that's one good thing about having a day job because it gave me an access to, like, quotation marks, normal British people, you know, who, who just work a nine-to-five. And I get to talk to them during breaks and having a pint, have a pint with them, learn what kind of stuff they like, what their behaviors are. Yeah, learn that's their humor. Idea. And people like, people like it when you make fun of them, right? So, you have to make fun of them in a clever mm-hmm. way. You can't just be like, oh, British people, you drink too much. And they'll be like, yeah, yeah, we know, we know. But if you make fun of like a specific detail, like, oh, when you drink and you break a glass at the pub, I've never see, see you sound so happy. People just go, wait, wait. And then people get surprised. Like, how do you know? This foreigner knows about us. And then they find it amusing and it works for all of us. You know, they, they like that you took the time and effort to learn about them. Yeah. So it's actually quite, it's like a complicated psychological um, well, way of thinking. Well, I don't go around thinking like that. I don't go around thinking, oh, I'm going to perform this, <laughs> carry out this complicated psychological task and evaluate their behaviors. But you just go around, go about life and observe and, and notice things. Mm-hmm. That's, that's how I go. That's how mm-hmm. I do it. A joke that would work here wouldn't necessarily work. Yes, some of them will work. Some of them are quite global. Some of them are quite UK-based. So yes, when I perform in Asia, I had to change up my set quite a bit because, uh, because I've only been here a few years So I, and I'm starting to write different material now. But my first few years here, it was all like all-consuming, you know? It's like, okay, life in Britain is so different from life in Asia. That was like, my mm. main thrust because that's the point of view I had because I was still new to the country. But now after I've, I've lived here for mm-hmm. a while and... I started to gain a different perspective because now I've settled down here and now I'm just writing more stuff that's a bit more personal because my, my point of view has changed. So I'm hoping this more personal material is, is more universal, more translatable overseas as well. Go to Malaysia. They don't know what Butlins is. I, you know? <laughs> go 
called Butlins, haven't you? Yeah, I, I actually have Butlins. a six-minute routine on Butlins on my YouTube channel. If yeah, if you search Nigel Ung, <laughs> my name N I G E L N G, Nigel Ung, and then search Nigel Ung, worst part of British culture. <laughs> that's my Butlins bit. <laughs> Go check it out. Okay, so I know you've only been a full-time comedian since last year, um, but what's it actually like to be a comedian? Like, is it as nope. cool as it nope. looks? occasionally occasionally which is which is uh decent i guess but it's like not every day it's like maybe once every season (laughs) so oh it's spring now okay let me look forward to my spring dm slide from a woman (laughs) and the thing is we do travel a lot but a lot of the times when we travel it's not it's not glamorous places you know, I go to places like Middlesbrough and Dudley and Newport, <laughs> you know, a lot of places like these. Sometimes you got to go to cool places, you know, Bristol, Manchester is pretty cool. And sometimes when I travel through Europe, people think, oh, my God, you're going through, you're going to Berlin, you're going to Brussels, all these places. And I want to say like, yes, it's all those places. But all I'm doing is I take a train, get there, check into my hotel, go to the green room, have dinner in the green room backstage, perform. Then sleep, check out, go to the next city. So I don't really get to see that many things. Yeah, so it, it's mm, nice and it's okay. also not as nice yeah. at the same time. Mm-hmm. And is it is it difficult to, like financially, is it is it kind of similar to actors and actresses where it's kind of small amounts at the beginning? It's a little more, it's a little exactly. safer than being an actor or actress. Because being an actor you have zero power. You have to audition. You have to be casted in things. You depend on so many outside people to do stuff for you. You know what I mean? To give you opportunities. But it's, ve- it's a bit more of a meritocracy. If you get a lot of laughs and you do really well, people like you, you know in your, in your head, you're like, okay, I'll be asked to come back and perform here. Not a problem. But as an actor and an audition, one, you can't even tell if you're doing well or not because there's no like response. There's no laughter, right? They just and then you never know. And with yeah. the internet as well, comedians or any funny people, any content creators or creative types, we can just produce our own thing, right? Like my Instagram and my YouTube, I just make my own videos and I put it on there and you find a fan base slowly. You gradually find the people who like your stuff, right? I put a podcast out there uh, and then people who like this, the podcast come listen. And then after you listen, they're like, oh, I like this Nigel Ung guy. And then they will buy a ticket to come to your show. So as a creative type nowadays, with the help of the internet, you can just create your own content. People who like the content will buy tickets to come see you live. So you see what I mean, right? It kind of bypasses the kind of mm-hmm. needing someone to give you opportunities. You can just build your own thing and hopefully people come. But I do love the fact that you're, you're kind of a non-stereotypical Asian comedian. I like how you're out there. You know, you, you swear. I guess you're controversial. What, what is your goal? I want to tour the world and keep building my profile. And just uh, live stand-up is what I like. You know, it feels right doing it. I, I miss it so much. And I feel my goal is just to, you know, write new shows and then tour the new show and then keep touring bigger and bigger. Amazing. Well, no, great goal. And Thank you, May. And success, Nigel. Yes, please. <laughs> uh, subscribe to all my channels, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok. Honestly, it's been, it's been like so great talking to you. And, and, you know, we need more people like you and Evelyn to 
basically represent that Asian people are cool. Yeah. And also, we are, we, we're pretty funny that. people. You know, like I said, I wasn't even the funniest one in my high school group. <laughs> Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, bu- I'll bump been, into you and like, let bro- grow somewhere. Thanks so much for listening to this week's Phenomenal in Asian podcast. I'll be releasing new episodes every Wednesday. And if you enjoyed this episode, make sure you follow us on Instagram at phenomenal.asian for all the latest updates. Next week's guest is Viv, a British-born Chinese from up north near Manchester. And she's also the founder of influencer marketing agency Be Influence. I'm telling you now, it's a good one. So stay safe and speak to you next week. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.